Welcome to Rejuvenated Women, Impeccable Health for High-Performing Women. Each week, we feature interviews, information, and inspiration that will motivate you to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. My name is Dr. Alex Ridley, selfless syndrome expert, women's health coach, and alternative medicine practitioner. I specialize in health for busy and driven women. Listen weekly as I share the tools, perspective, and knowledge you need to lose weight, boost your energy, and fall in love with yourself so that you can serve the world with an even bigger impact. Hello, and welcome back to Rejuvenated Women, Impeccable Health for High-Performing Women. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley, and I'm really excited to be joined today by Lori Ann Campbell, who is perhaps the only person who is a bulimia recovery coach using graphotherapy, which is handwriting analysis, and angles of self-branding in her process. Lorianne has traveled and lived in many places. She was born in Montreal, Quebec, and her family moved to Istanbul, Turkey when she was seven, where they lived for four years, during which they, time they were the first civilian family to walk from Asia to Europe in the first Bosphorus Bridge. Lorianne has always wanted to have her own business from the age of seven. She's transitioned from marketing, branding, and finance to the automotive industry. And after her divorce at 30, has moved into doing more of her own business. And she is a bulimia, has been through bulimia for 30 years, recovered from it, and is here to just kind of share her story. So Lorianne, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dr. Alex. I'm really yeah. pleased to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you and hear you. you obviously have done a lot of interesting things in your life and lived a very interesting life, but I'd, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about, you know, how you got to where you are, including like handwriting analysis, because that's really cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it, uh, my handwriting analysis, so just to go there first is I was reading books my mother had when I was nine years old and always fascinated by it. And, uh, when I got married and had three children, of course, the cost mm -hmm. of daycare was you know, we could, may as well have had a nanny come in, so we decided to do that. And it was interesting that the way that I hired my nanny was through handwriting analysis. So just a, a quick example, we have the pictures and we have the letters. You look at the pictures, and there was one definitely you would probably not choose. The other two just sweet looking as anything. Then I took, put those aside, I took the handwriting, and uh, the one that I picked was the picture that I probably would never have picked, and she was the best nanny we ever had. She even stayed an extra year with us because she was from Quebec coming over with us. Um, and where it changed is, you know, from realizing the different temperaments, the different traits in a person, and what did I want for my children? You know, I wanted somebody who was honest, somebody who was exuberant, someone who lived for the day, and that's what this person had in her handwriting. So. Years later, I'm running my own automotive industry uh, company, and I'm on the computer, and I see this handwriting university, and I went, no, joke, really? <laughs> so I started that, and uh, got certified in 2012, and I just got my master's this year. COVID was lovely for me, in a sense, because it gave me the time to catch up to, to complete that. So... Uh, that's where I'm at. And the neat thing about the masters is um, not all of it is proven, but it takes you to a different level where you can actually start to see some of the medical issues that people might have in their handwriting, such as uh, Parkinson's or um, Alzheimer's and such. Oh, that's really interesting. That's cool. Yeah. And so how does this tie in with bulimia recovery? Because I know that's, you know, largely what I reached out to you about was having you come on the show and just, you know, talk about your story around that. So where does handwriting analysis come into play with this? 
Okay, so one thing that I was really pleased about, which I didn't realize, so I, I struggled with bulimia for 30 years. Um, at the age of 48, which was 10 years ago, I finally conquered it. And uh, it was uh, on and off, but mostly on. Uh, I will say absolutely, when I had my children while I was pregnant, it wasn't an issue of not being bulimic, which was interesting. It was maybe something that feeling the love inside of me, I don't know. Uh, but the struggles, being bulimic starts, I always say it was like a diet gone wrong, but it goes beyond that. So uh, once I got through my bulimia, I'd always wanted to, even when I was, you know, through periods of recovery. Uh, previously, I said, when I fully recover and I'm comfortable with that, I want to give forth to people who are struggling with it. What was nice about the handwriting is it included the graphotherapy, which also helped me in my recovery, because what you can do is you can, uh, it signals certain um, pointers in your traits that you can actually change by changing your handwriting. And one of the big things about mm -hmm. bulimics is they have low self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And so as it's not as simple because it's traits that you pull together, but one of the first steps would be seeing that my T-bar was low, was to elevate it and that will elevate the self-esteem. And it is proven that this works and I have done it and it really did change my mindset. So, that's there really cool. And little things too, such as uh, the other two that I'll give, because I don't want to get too elongated in it, but yeah. um, if you have a D stem that's open, like, you know, circular or a T stem that's circular, that means that you are, um, sensitive to criticism and I did notice that both of those are open and it didn't matter I have you know I'm not I'm not tooting my own horn but I can't tell you how many courses I've taken in my life and how many certificates I have on the wall and yet my t-bar was still open in fear of criticism of intellect interesting so so closing that up and increasing the um, the, the height or, or lifting the height of my T-bar, closing the D as well, because that is the D one reflects fear of criticism of, of your, um, how you look. So, uh, okay. so there's a lot more to it, but those yeah. were three that were specific to, I, I knew that. I, and even to this day, sometimes I'll write and I'll see my little T-bar start to open up and it's funny because I'll think, you know what, it's true. I'm starting to feel a little bit like, you know, fear of criticism that, you know, oh, you really don't know what you're talking about type of thing and you got to pull out of it. I say, no, yeah. I do though. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. And it's no, all subconscious. That's really cool. And I, I've never studied handwriting. I mean, I'm, I have, I joke, I have like doctor's handwriting. I mean, it's atrocious. My son's handwriting is clearer than mine. Like I can't read anything I write. <laughs> I've, I've read notes while I'm live on, on things and I'm like, I have no idea what I wrote there. But um, it's, it's just really interesting to, you know, see that as a, a tool to change mindset and to, to like tap into that because it, it's totally possible to change, you know, how we view ourselves in the world, but that's super interesting. Um, and it's it's based on the neural pathways too. So a lot of what you're writing is subconscious. It's like when you get in a car after you've driven for so long, you don't even think about it. You see red light, you stop. I mean, it's just auto, auto, automatic. And the same mm -hmm. thing with the writing. And by the way, Dr. Alex, it doesn't really matter. Even if somebody has really bad handwriting, we can still <laughs> do a handwriting analysis. Because to us, strangely, we don't look at how pretty or ugly the writing is. We don't even look at the content when we're doing it. Sometimes I'll read the content after I've done an analysis and go, oh, that's really cute what they wrote. <laughs> but <laughs> in that particular moment when I'm doing the analysis, uh, that's not my purpose. My purpose is to pull out, um, you know, issues, uh, you know, even with, with 
uh, in bulimia, I mean, you know, along with the self-esteem, there could be also the uh, issues of, uh, you know, feeling uh, some um, frustrations with the opposite sex. You can see that trigger mm -hmm. it in, in um, what they call the uh, sort of like a claw. So, and then the ticks for anger and the irritation. And it's to try and calm people down. You could work with those, but uh, but yeah, it doesn't matter how bad the handwriting. My son hated me when I said write, and I want you to write in cursive, which is even worse. Like you know, you may as well like right. tell him to go to his room. No, that's even better because all the toys are in there. But uh, but he did do that, and uh, he says I hate my handwriting. But it mm -hmm. it does pull out the traits regardless, so it doesn't matter. That's yeah. really interesting. Um, now I'm super curious about this, but we can we can bring our shift um, into you know more of this conversation around bulimia because I you know we were talking and you probably have more of the statistics than I do, but I know a lot of women struggle with eating issues and it can be you know societal driven societally driven it can be around body image it can be around a lot of things so you know as much as you're comfortable like sharing your story and and kind of what maybe we should start with what is bulimia like how do i know if that's something I, i'm struggling with you know what are the first steps in kind of recognizing you have a problem and, and going from there okay so bulimia basically is when you you binge and perch so you overeat quite often it does start and not not always though but quite often it's trying to uh you know if you're overweight and you're trying to lose weight and you go on a diet and the problem is is that the diet and this is what ultimately happened with me. I was 16, 130 pounds at five, seven and a half. So totally perfectly fine. But I was told by someone in the family that I was overweight and wanted me to lose weight before her wedding. So put me on a starvation diet. Never before that did I even know what a diet was. I never even considered it. Well, as a little kid, I was bugged and said that I was fat, but that was only because I was really tall. So when I stepped on the scale, obviously I was heavier than anyone else. But again, I didn't equate that to food. I just felt that I was a big person. I was always quite taller than people too. Anyway, so long of the short of it is, all of a sudden the dieting goes, I go on the starvation diet, all my, my, my eating habits just went out the door. And the more you diet, the more you gain because of the restrictions, the more you want that. So all of a sudden, you know, I go from 130 pounds to 160 pounds. And then I'm trying to lose which is ridiculous. And then you've got a friend who says, hey, you can have your cake and eat it too. Tells you about it and you attempt it. And once you succeed, at first it is, wow, I've lost weight. It's great. However, what happens from there, it becomes what would be summed up as um, an addiction, really, uh, where uh, your, your emotions get eaten up. So food becomes a comfort. And what you feel is that as a bulimic, you can probably, I think me personally anyway, I don't know if other bulimics, you know, I'm not bulimic anymore, but as a bulimic, um, would be able to say we could, we could um, relate more to overeaters than we could to anorexics. The only difference with us is that we hit our overeating. You can't yeah. see it because we purged it. Uh, but the purging almost becomes a ritual as well. So you get... I'll just throw something in. You get angry at somebody. You go, you eat your anger. And there's that comfort and just like mm, crunchy stuff usually, right? And then then you'll purge it. And in a way, it's almost like you're purging that person that you're angry at. So I always say that it's almost self-sabotaging because you're hurting yourself versus the person that you're angry at. And yeah. and that's one of, the, one of the things. I mean, 
there's the boredom aspect as well where you get so crazy bored and you want to make time pass which is nuts but you do and you'll turn to food because it's an easy way to do it instead of you know focusing on mindset and going no that's not what I really want to do um, but you do it and women the thing is it's difficult to overcome in the best of times but when you start moving into your 30s and you have your kids and the overwhelm because now you've got you know your you've got your bills you've got your kids you've got all of that other stuff that you're worried about um, the more overwhelm that you have the harder it is to find recovery because you're finding your comfort in your food to relax you from all that so that's why you tend to find that women and there's some men as well uh, that will carry that uh, their bulimia right into their their 40s 50s 60s uh, mm. and it still exists out there and it's a lot more common than people know believe I don't know because stats change everywhere like I read yeah. all the time and it's like you know 50% 30% 20% five. but the one that I thought was probably the most um, doable is like 0.3% of, of women um, are over 40 uh, suffer oh, wow. struggle mm -hmm. so I mean it's not a huge number but it's big enough that it's something that should be looked at and they're hard to reach because they're more ashamed of mm -hmm. being a bulimic I mean you almost look I've mentioned this before that Hollywood almost glorified being a bulimic oh, what you do it I'm just going to the bathroom to throw up my food and it almost became like it was okay which it's not um, but you don't see you know 40 50 60 year olds in a movie where that's the same thing it just doesn't go it's like you know they make that they, they think we look crazy when we're dancing even so you know, it's right <laughs> different mindset yeah so yeah. and there's so much there to unpack you know and I not that I want to say I love but I, I can see how you know a lot of it is it's emotionally driven right and when we don't have good tools and muscles to help us deal with our emotions it can you know certainly be an addiction and something that you really fall into and, and kind of creating that really unhealthy patterning with food emotion and like here's how I deal with deal with this yeah um so for those listening that you know maybe they recognize that this is something they've struggled with or they they have family members that they wonder about or like where for you, where was the, the tipping point? Like when, when did you finally recognize like this is an issue and I need to do something differently? Well, I knew it was an issue from the time that I really started and I was going yeah. to get some help on and off. Um, I think when it just stopped was, you know, I, I had a sister who was very honest with me. She says, you know, I can hear you and I know it's happening mm -hmm. and I love you and I'm worried and I don't want you to hurt yourself anymore. And I thought, wow, you know, it can be a very selfish thing to keep going when you know you think about all the other people that you can hurt and obviously bulimia becomes a lot more of a health risk it always is a health risk but it increases as you get older I mean the strain that it puts on your heart I mean purging is not it, it's very um, it affects a heart quite a bit I mean you're gonna be uh, and that is the number one uh, concern when it comes to bulimia in mid midlife so I thought, okay, well, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of hurting people. It's time for me to get. And I really, at this point, thought, you know, I'm doing this to myself. I'm making the excuses. There's nobody around me. I was divorced. I was on my own. No one was holding me back from getting better anymore in the sense of I, the way I was 
reflecting. So when I was married, I, I felt sometimes that overpower. Well, I wasn't anymore. I didn't have that excuse for one, which is an excuse because it's my own personal um, fault as the way that I was dealing with it. Um, but you have to be kind to yourself. So as much as I say it's a fault, it's also something that, and, and what was making things trigger, uh, I realized, you know, there, I have no reason not to stop. Nobody ever has reason not, not to stop. But this time it was just apparent that it was like, what are you doing? And, uh, and so I moved forward in saying that that was it. I, uh, uh, no excuses, I guess, was what I woke up with after my sister said that. I have no excuses. So, um, I wanted to live a better life. I wanted to have dinner with my family without worrying about where I was going to find the next bathroom and how I was going to hide. Mm. I got tired of hiding. Yeah. yeah. That's really powerful. And... and the other thing, too, is when you first come out of it, you have to realize that you hit a lot of emotions in your binging and purging, and those are going to still be there. So you're going to have to learn to deal with them. And I think that was a good three months of really eye-opening, learning to deal with the emotions and not turning to something that comforted them. And yeah. as one of these lovely ladies said in, uh, in an interview, she says, it's uh, becoming comfortable with your discomfort. I love that line. I love that one too. And it's so true, you know, learning just to sit, in our emotions and be okay with them. It's scary. It's hard. It's, you know, I, I came out of a marriage where my husband uh, was an alcoholic. So, you know, struggling with addiction and just a lot of self-hatred and hiding. And, and that brought up lots of emotions for me that I didn't know how to deal with. Um, and it's about learning how to do it in a healthy way, which is sometimes just being with them and acknowledging they're there. So, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, we were mentioning that too, because I remember, the first time that I cried, what I called a sober cry without, you know, because um, I, I did like my glass of wine every now and again when I recovered <laughs> from the Bolivia. And then I thought that's just another numbing agent and you can't mm -hmm. do that. So putting all aside and then having that cry and I thought, wow, this is freeing, painful, but freeing to have that sober mm -hmm. cry. And uh, that was a, a turning point as well. And I thought, wow, I'd rather feel this. And, uh, wow. I had, um, a blog that I called it, uh, bulimiatic and it says it hurts not to hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's not on levels because when you, I guess, use other, you know, coping mechanisms to just bury your emotions, you're not really dealing with them. And okay. so, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the divorce was a tough one too. I went through a pretty tough one as well. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, after that it was sort of, I was lost and, but I will say the bulimia never stopped me from doing things. <laughs> I, still, I still did things. It sounds um, like <laughs> you've done a lot. Yeah. I keep thinking, you know, without that time and the money and, and everything that was wasted on that, how much more I could have done. And I'm not, I'm not bashing myself, but sometimes I think back going, wow, you know, like, um, and I don't know how many uh, friends or family that I might have alienated because of it. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but uh, but it's to look at today and what moving forward and the people around me and the people I can help uh, to get out of there because I know a lot of people just feel like it's a really dark place to be yeah and, uh, and it can be definitely yeah and so as you were going through your own recovery I know you do a lot of work now to just help support women going like who are on the recovery road but are there are there what are the resources and places that we you know women can tap into to find support uh first of all i believe if you're not going to well obviously therapists uh mm -hmm. really are helpful or coaches uh, are very mm -hmm. helpful to reach out and and guide you through it that's been you know that's a big help uh some people want to do it alone if you're going to do that you better have a family member or somebody that you can confide in and who will be okay like i remember you know, in my recovery stage, and I think I was three months into it, I called my sister up and I said, I want to binge and perch. <laughs> and she said, that's okay. And I said, no, it's not. But her telling me it was okay made me not want to do it. But the point is that she was telling me she was there no matter what, whether I, whether I, you know, relapsed for a day or didn't, or whether I was going or not, wasn't going to be like, oh no, don't do it, don't do it. You know, it would be like, I prefer you not to, but it's okay. I'm still here for you, even if you do. And I think that's really important. Um, because one thing that a bulimic can do is maybe go like a week without and then have a binge purge session, then feel so bad. It's almost like, you know, the diet. Oh, I, I messed it up. So what the heck? I give up. You right. know, and it's, it's not to give up. It's definitely you can't give up. That would be the one thing. Uh, reading really helps. There's a couple of books out there that, uh, that are really good. I will say the uh, Joan Borisenko, and I'll not know if I get it right. I'm going to just read it quickly because it's right here. I got it mixed up. So it's Minding the Body, Mending the Mind was one of the mm -hmm. uh, books that I read too that was um, really key because I seriously believe that the first place to start, which people think it's the mindset, I think it's also mm -hmm. the way you're eating because your mindset will be affected by the lack of nutrients and you know, it will cause things. It, it caused me mood swings when I was bulimic, um, mm -hmm. oversensitivity, overtiredness, uh, all things that when you're eating well, it gives you a better focus on towards your recovery. So, and I personally mm -hmm. also wrote a book called How to Have Your Cake and Not Eat It All Too. And that also mm -hmm. speaks to adult recovery. That's very cool. And those are all great tips and resources and you know i think it's it's a huge key is to just have someone in your corner you know and Absolutely. yeah somebody who can be there without judgment and be there just to to support you so i love that you it sounds like you have a great sister <laughs> oh yes <laughs> <laughs> it, it, no she really has been throughout my life she's been very supportive but that was that was key like my family and it's weird though that it took till i was 48 to hear those words um, mm -hmm. there was, I don't think there was enough out there, particularly when I started for any family to know how to deal with it. It really would be like, you know, parents would get angry at their children. You know, what are you doing? Do you want attention? You know, eat now, stop this or stop overeating or you're wasting my food versus all that's going to do is make the bulimic hide. Right. <laughs> They're going to do yeah. it anyway. And it's yeah. going to dr drive them deeper into that darkness. So, um, being understanding. It is, I understand, for family members who do have someone in their family that has bulimia or any kind of eating disorder. It's, mm -hmm. it's, 
frustrating and it's scary just like you know having children who are on drugs um yeah you know it's the same type of thing you fear for them you worry for them um but you know with bulimia uh you know anorexics quite often they'll have to be hospitalized if it gets to a certain mm -hmm. point whereas bulimics it's not as common to be hospitalized if they're you know kind of like the, the not of the because there's some anorexic bulimics so bulimorexics that would be also mm -hmm. somewhere where they go but most bulimics have not will not but they do need they do need the support they need the help uh, to get mm -hmm. through there um, but like I said it does take patience and loving and understanding um, yeah. and even if you need to take their hand and say here you know let's let's together find a therapist or a coach somebody you like and you might have to go shopping because trust me mm -hmm. I've been to psychiatrists and some therapists and I walked out going this isn't working for me so it's got to be the right person yeah for sure yeah, absolutely and you know not to feel guilty about shopping around like you, you got to find the person like you connect with i know a lot of people are like well i tried therapy but i didn't like i'm like well did you try an another option <laughs> it's okay to go to more than one and find the person you jive with the, oh, it's important to too as well. So yeah, you don't like going in and thinking and they you go for one therapy and they go, well, we'll see you next week and you feel too bad to say no. And that's the other problem, right? Bulimics mm -hmm. quite often are people pleasers and they have a hard time <laughs> saying no. So they're going to keep seeing that person, you know, 10 right. sessions later, you're realizing nothing really ever worked out because you didn't have that connection. So yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So I, I think kind of in wrapping this up, what's what's life like on the other side? Like, when did you finally reach the point where you felt stable and like you, you know, were recovered and no longer struggling? Or are you still, is it still a daily choice? It is seriously not a daily choice. I would not go back. It is just, yeah. I, I see, I'm even getting goosebumps right now thinking about it. I would say the first six months were the toughest. Uh, mm -hmm. And then for emotional, like uh, dealing with emotions, not that I wanted to go to food, but it's feeling lost, you know, dealing with the emotions that you used to go mm -hmm. to food for. Um, that would have been another, you know, three years. As far as going back, it's kind of interesting that uh, it, the, the, it becomes so much easier. And, and, and when you look at the being so grateful for when you are recovered, um, the mindset's better and like I said being able to sit down with your family and have a meal and enjoy it mm -hmm. and obviously you adjust because you know what your body is capable like what how much you want to eat um, right. me there's no what you want to eat I mean when I go see my mom whatever she makes I eat but it's proportions right and then mm -hmm. you know she used to be eat everything on your plate I look at her and go you know mom I'm not <laughs> like, <laughs> I stop okay <laughs> And you got to take that stance too, is not to feel guilty about leaving things on your plate. It's okay. If you're full, mm -hmm. then stop, pack it up, take it home and you can have it, you know, tomorrow or whatever. It's mm -hmm. just so freeing. I can't even begin to tell you. I, I love that I can even cook and I can have stuff in my house and I'm not afraid of food anymore. And I've, what I say is that food used to almost be like my best friend and my, and my worst enemy. Mm -hmm. And then what I did is I decided, okay, you're not my best friend, but I'll make friends with you. And I really like you. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's it's not my end all and be all. So I just, I enjoy cooking. I enjoy doing that stuff now. And it doesn't scare me. And I think that that is amazing. And being able to deal with my emotions on my own yeah. is important. Yeah. 
No, those are all, I think even, you know, people who aren't struggling with necessarily mm -hmm. something as extreme as bulimia or anorexia, like our, we were talking about this in my, um, on our group call in my program last night, and like just how much our society is driven, you know, eating our emotions and, you know, any kind of celebration, it's like, it's always around food. It's always around something sugary. It's always around, you know, funeral, same thing. Like <laughs> you're stressed out. It's, mm -hmm. it's always food. And so, you know, it's really powerful. I think for anybody to listen to this and know that you don't have to do that. <laughs> like you do not have to turn to food. No. And I, and, and I think once you're comfortable with yourself, you won't look at it and with no restrictions, you don't sit there and go, Oh my goodness. I really want that, but I can't have it. Like I look at something, if I want it, I'll have it. And even if it's just a bite of something that I look at that I want, you know, if I really want it, get over the craving or the urge and just mm -hmm. do it. Uh, again, it's, it's the amount, it's not being fearful, that mm -hmm. bite or that little thing that you want that you're telling yourself you can't is not going to put 20 pounds mm -hmm. on you tomorrow. Right. And you get to enjoy it and eat slowly. Yeah. <laughs> Savor it. Yeah, so. savor the moment. Exactly. Very so. cool. Well, where can people go to connect with you or find out more about you? Well, they can go to uh, my main site. That's the sort of umbrella to everything is IamThatGal.com. Awesome. And there, there are links to pretty well everything. Um, and then I do have, if anybody is looking for a support that I have, particularly for um, midlife bulimia, because that's the mm -hmm. my focus right now. Um, if they go uh, search out uh, midlife bulimia recovery, um, or it's at groups backslash bulimiatic, but the way it's spelled might be so. Looking it up is probably easier. Okay. <laughs> so, midlife. And I can put all that in the, in the show notes as well. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Really well, appreciate you. having you having me here, Dr. Alex. Really yeah. Thank Thank you for sharing. This has been really great, and I appreciate you coming on. So. Very welcome. Take care. Alrighty. Thank you for tuning in to Rejuvenated Women, impeccable health for high-performing women, where we provide you with the tools, information, and inspiration you need to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a review. Each month, I'll select one lucky reviewer to receive a special impeccable health sample kit from me. Also, I don't want to be working with you on your health only once or twice a week. I want to be in this conversation and in the trenches with you every single day. I invite you to join me in my private Facebook group for high-performing women who are ready to transform their health and lives called the Tribe of Rejuvenated Women. There, you'll have access to free trainings, a community of like-minded women from around the world, and even more information, inspiration, and motivation to transform your health and become vibrant, energetic, and on fire. Until next time, remember to keep putting yourself first so that you can better serve the ones you love and the things you are passionate about.